Thank you for supporting the media outreach of New Covenant Christian Ministries. Through the powerful preaching and teaching of Pastor Bill and Dr. Deanne Johnson, family relations are being restored. The wayward are returning to God. And together, we are transforming all people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Join us now for a message that will strengthen you in your faith and encourage you to be all that God has designed you to be. I had the thought the other day, and I I just took a chance, and I went on Google, and I Googled this phrase, how to find the best gifts for Christmas. And I didn't really expect that I was going to find too much. But much to my surprise, it returned 16 pages. Wow. Not 16 items, 16 pages of resources on how to find the best gifts for Christmas. And I was amazed because I began thinking how much effort and energy we put into buying things for people at this time of the year, to the complete neglect of giving them the ultimate gift, which is Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul, speaks of him as the ultimate gift in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. In the Living Bible, they refer to him as Thank God for his son, his gift too wonderful for words. And in the Amplified, it says, Now thanks be to God for his gift, precious, beyond telling, his indescribable, inexpressible, free gift. So what is it that we need to be paying attention to so that we don't spend the rest of this season worrying about giving gifts that are temporary and forgetting to give the gift that's eternal? Well, Matthew chapter 2, we're going to see some wise men here who went in search of this ultimate gift, Jesus Christ. And what they do will serve as an example to us as we search for and find this ultimate gift. So in Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, which I am not turned to and am now, (laughs) chapter 2, let's read. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, 
And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. There are about five things that I see in this text that the wise men did that I believe will benefit us as we seek after this ultimate gift, Christ. The first thing that I see in the text is that the wise men pursued. Can somebody say pursued? They pursued. The wise men said in verse, in, in verse 2, they said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, it's important that we understand something. Many times when we look at like nativity scenes and things like that around Christmas time, You'll see uh, an image of the baby Jesus, Mary and Joseph. You'll see the uh, shepherds, and then you see these three wise men or the three magi. That's really not a clear depiction of what happened. See, the shepherds were out tending sheep, and the angel came and announced the birth of Christ. The shepherds immediately went, and they went and saw the baby Jesus. But the Magi, they saw a star. Now it wasn't some, uh, it wasn't a normal star. They saw some anomaly in the sky that helped them to know that what was prophesied had indeed come to pass. And they started following the star that they saw. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how long they followed, but it could have been as long as two years. And the reason that I'm saying that is because, if you remember, Herod, because he was so concerned that there was this new king coming on the scene who was uh, possibly going to take over his reign, he decided that he would kill every young boy from... Two years old, down. Because nobody knew the exact time. Did not Jesus tell us nobody knows the exact day nor the hour? They didn't know when he was coming exactly the first time, and we don't know when he's coming back again. But, so these, these magi, they began to follow what they saw. We don't know how long it took, but no matter how long it took, they had to pursue what they saw. Their recognition of who he was started them on what could have been this two-year journey to worship the King of Kings. Why do I bring this up? Because in order for us to worship the Lord, we've got to be willing to search for him. Most of the time, we think of God as, come to me, but we've got to be willing to pursue him. 
Uh, I love it. My husband uh, has given, has used this quote many times, and, uh, and I definitely understand it and agree with it. He said, pursuit is, is proof of desire. If you and I say we desire something, we'll be able to tell we desire it by our pursuit. That's why I know he loved me. Because the brother pursued. He put his best Mac on. Got his best game together. And he kept on pursuing. And 30 years later, he's still pursuing. Amen. So you and I, can't, we can't say that we desire a thing, but we don't pursue it, that we don't go after it. You can say, I pursue, I, I want this, I want that. The proof of what you really want, the proof of what you and I really think is valuable will be in what we actually put the energy in pursuing. As a matter of fact, 1 Chronicles 16 and 9 says it like this. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. And Isaiah 55 and 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That verse always bothers me. It always bothers me. Because if Isaiah says, Seek the Lord while he may be found, that suggests to me that there's going to be a time when he may not be found. And so sometimes we say, particularly if we know unbelievers or if you are an unbeliever, sometimes we say things like, I have time. Who told you? I'll do it later. Who said there is a later? We've got to seek him. We've got to pursue him while we have the opportunity. So they pursued him. They went after what they saw. But not only did they pursue him, I think we will also find that they entered when they found him. Look at verse 11. It says, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother. Stop right there. First of all, let me, let me just point this out, back to that point that I was making to you. Notice, they did not come to the manger. They came to the house. And they saw the young child, not a baby. But it says they entered, they, it says when they had come. The word come there literally means to approach. It means to move toward. It means to enter. The implication is that you have to leave one place to enter into another. Now, they could have very well said, we've seen the star, we have followed the star, we've pursued him, he's here, we're going back. It wasn't until they actually came into the house. Oh, you, you, you don't know where I'm going with this. See, it, it's not enough for you and I to approach Christ... We have to leave our old life and then come into the new life that he provides. Are you seeing that? See, sometimes we, we, uh, we come to church, but we don't enter in. We don't enter into him. As a matter of fact, do me a favor, put all of your belongings down. 
Stand up, please. Come here. Now, what's interesting is this. Some of you came near. Somebody said, I'm trying to get there. That's how it is with the Lord. I'm trying to get there, Jesus. Not to pick on anybody because some people couldn't make it. But now, some people didn't move. Some people couldn't get there because other folks were in the way. But interestingly enough, only a few came here. I said, come here. Uh Uh-huh. I did, didn't I? So some of us come close, but we still don't come here. Are you seeing it? Go on, sit down. (laughs) Somebody said that was good. It's, it's harder to do in a, in, a, in a group this big, but you get the picture. Because sometimes that's how it is. We see him, but then we have to ponder if we want to come near. We see him, but we get sidetracked by other people. We see him, but the distractions keep us from coming to him. Some of you couldn't come. Some of you came, but your mind was back at your purse. <laughs> Look at somebody and say, sure, she's right. But not only do we have to pursue him, but we have to enter in. Psalm 16, 11, the B part of the verse says, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You got to be in his presence to get it. Psalm 101 and 2 says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. You know the rest. Come before his presence with singing. So they not only pursued, but they entered in. But they didn't stop there. Verse 11 goes on to say, When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and look at what they did. They fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. That phrase fall down or fell down means to descend from a higher place to a lower place. It means to descend from an erect position to a prostrate position. And to worship is not, listen, worship is not the two slow songs that we sing in service after the three fast songs. (laughs) Yeah, you know, we say praise and worship. Like if the tempo didn't slow down, we didn't worship. It's not what worship is. There is a difference between praise and worship. To praise means to speak well of. And this is the thing. You can praise him and he not be there. 
Because you can speak well if somebody, I can speak well if, if you were not here, if Belinda was not here in the room, I could speak well of her and she'd never be there. But to worship, it requires intimacy and presence. To worship means to kiss toward. And the picture that is often given is like a dog lapping the hand of its master. Now, I, uh, we don't have pets. I thought, I would get a, I thought I'd hear a cry of outrage from that side of the room because my son is over there. But we don't have pets. Uh, and then for those of you, how many dog lovers are there? Okay, so I don't, don't throw nothing at me, but frankly, I'm more of a cat person. I said don't. Didn't I say don't? And Kim looking at me like this. It's all right. More of a cat person. But this is what I notice about dogs. Dogs, when they are at home, the minute they sense their master's presence, they begin to start jumping. They begin to wag their tails. They begin sometimes to bark. But they don't stop there because as soon as they get in close proximity to their master, they want to jump on him or her. They want to lick on you. They want to love on you. If a dog knows how to express his gratitude to the one who feeds him, the one who lives, gives him a place to live, the, the one who takes care of him, how much more those of us who have met and have relationship with this indescribable gift should we love on him? But it, it requires intimacy. Intimacy requires that we don't have everything and everybody else on our minds. We are single focused on the love of our lives. Now, I don't worship my husband by any stretch of the imagination. But darling, would you stand right over there, please? But just to use this as an illustration, I can stand here and tell you what a wonderful man he is, what an outstanding pastor he is, what a giving man he is, what a great father he is, what a great provider he is. And while I am doing all of that, I am praising him. I'm talking well. I'm speaking well of him. But for there to be intimacy with him, I have got to make the choice to come close. If we're talking about God, notice I had him stand there. Because the, even the Bible tells us, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. But it's initiated by us. And it's not until I get close and personal where I can touch him. I see what you want. <laughs> so silly. I didn't even think about this. 
When you are a long distance away from somebody, you have to yell to get their attention. But the closer you get, the lower your voice can be. In worship, many times the reason that we are uncomfortable worshiping God is because we're uncomfortable in the silence. We feel like we got to say something. We've got to do something. But they came recognizing fully who this gift was. And they said, it's not enough that we've pursued him. It's not enough that we have, in, that we have come and entered in. It, now we have to worship him. I lay down everything that I am. But let me tell you this. Part of the challenge for us is before you can bow your knee, you got to bow your heart. Our hearts have to be submitted to him. It's so interesting to me. In America, if, if a president comes into a room, it is expected that everyone stands. Whether you like the president or not is irrelevant. Protocol says that in respect for the office, you stand. If a judge walks into a courtroom, the first thing the bailiff says is, all rise. So we are conditioned to stand up. But when you and I are in the presence of royalty, we are not expected to stand. We are expected to bow. And sometimes we can't worship God because we take our Americanized mindset and we want to stand up in all of our pride before God. I was, it's so interesting to me. I don't know who, who came up with this saying, uh, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I don't know who came up with that, but I think it's the most ridiculous thing Because if it weren't for God, you wouldn't have any boots to put straps on. So it's worship requires that we lower ourselves in humility to him. The wise men pursued, they entered, and then they worshiped. And then they gave. I knew that would go over really well. About three of you were like, amen. (laughs) Also in verse 11, it says, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. Look at this. And when they had opened their treasures or their wealth, their storehouse of precious things, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, gold is still a precious metal, and, uh, but in, in Bible times, it was a precious metal that was presented to a king. So whenever you came into the presence of the king, you bought gold with you. But they also brought in frankincense. Now, frankincense was an, is an incense that was used by the Old Testament priests. Frankincense represented prayer. It was what was lifted up in prayer. Now, I get the gold. 
for the king. And I understand the frankincense being prayer. But the third one is interesting because they bought myrrh. Myrrh is a fragrant perfume that's used in embalming bodies. But the wise men understood something. See, when they came, they bought what represented him. Their gifts to him spoke of who he was and who he is. So gold said, I recognize that you're the king of kings. Frankincense said, I recognize that you are the one who will carry our prayers to the Father. But myrrh said, and I fully recognize that while you're a child and I am worshiping a child at the moment, you're going to grow up. And at 33, you're going to hang on a cross and you're going to be the sacrificial lamb for our sins. They recognized who he was and they bought gifts that spoke to who he was. Now that really made me think because I have to ask myself, do the gifts that I bring to him represent fully who he is? Or do we just bring him the leftovers? Even our gifts, when I say gifts, I'm not just talking about money. Although I do believe that if we, really, if we really believe that he is the king of kings, if we really believe that he's the Lord of lords, if we really believe that he's the savior and we're grateful for it, he should not have to fight with us for resources. Now, I fully believe that. But even the gifts that he has given us, do you realize that you did not gift yourself? Whatever ability you have, he gave it to you. Whatever talent you have, he gave it to you. Whatever grace you have, he gave it to you. Yet, in the church, we have to beg people to bring their gift to him. But we say he's the king. No, they said, we've come and we are worshiping him, but we're also bringing him our gifts. I wrote this down um, in my time alone, and it, just, it was just something that really caught my attention. I said, our gifts are most meaningful to him when they are valuable to us. You know, when you, when you give, I'll speak for myself, <clears throat> excuse me. When I think about giving gifts to people, I often want to think about what would be valuable to me. What would be something that would really minister to them, but it would be of value to me? And I often wonder, do we have that same attitude when it comes to bringing Christ our gifts? Do we bring him what's valuable to us? Or do we say, I'm too busy. I don't have the time to give that to you, even though you gave it to me. So, they pursued, they entered, they worshipped, they gave, and here's the last thing. They obeyed. They obeyed. 
After they presented their gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, verse 12 says, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Somebody say another way. I told you earlier that King Herod really didn't want to, want to know where the child was for any positive reason. He wanted to annihilate him. But nothing in the text tells us that the Magi knew that, right? Nothing tells us that. But while they were in the presence of the king, they were divinely warned in a dream Even though the king told you to come back this way, to come back to him, don't do it. Go back to your country another way. It doesn't tell us whether it was a convenient way. It says go back another way. And they followed. And I could not help but think about a natural illustration of this. One day I was in my car and uh, my car has... Uh, a GPS system uh, on the dash. And I hadn't used it before, so I said, well, let me just put this address in. I was somewhere where I kind of knew how to get home already, but I said, let me put it in so that I can be sure how to make it. But at the same time, I also had my phone with me, so I put, the, I put my home address in the Google Maps on my phone. Now, part of that is because my husband always says that um, I'm like a man with a suspenders and belt. I don't know which one I trust. (laughs) I'm always looking for a backup, just in case. (laughs) So, I had the screen in front of me. I could see the the roadway, the, the, uh, the pathway, straight blue line, everything looked clear. I'm driving along, and all of a sudden, I hear a voice. And the voice says, there is a traffic accident two miles ahead. There's an alternate route. If you would like to take it, press I accept. Now, in front of me, I see absolutely no problem. In my head, I say, I know exactly how to get home from this point. I don't see any problem on this screen. I don't, I don't have any alternate route that I know of to go home. But this voice tells me that there is a problem ahead. Do you accept the alternate route? Thanks be unto God, I pressed the button and said I will accept. And it took me through some little winding turns and, and places that I had never seen before. And it saved almost 20 minutes off my trip. What am I saying? When we are in the presence of the Lord, we can expect to receive divine instructions. But when we receive the instruction, that's not the time for you to try to fleece God. That's not the time for you to have to fast and pray. Sometimes in his presence, he's going to give us instructions. We may not see the way. We may think we know the way, but he knows what we don't know. He's been where we have not been. And he will tell us, reroute and go another way. 
When we come into his presence, we don't just come into his presence for a good feeling. We come so that we can hear from him and get instruction on how to live. So like these wise men, I want to encourage us that this season, let us not spend so much time and energy trying to find the best gift for people that we forget the ultimate gift for them. Let us not walk through our family and friends with no idea what their eternal salvation is and miss that, but give them a sweater that they don't like anyway. I'm talking right. You know, and you go go to some other function three years later and you see another cousin with that sweater on. Not realizing that the other one that you gave the sweater to re-gifted it. Listen, in all sincerity, we work with people. We walk by people. We serve people. We live with people who don't know Jesus. Let's not make Christmas all about so much madness that we let lost people come into our sphere lost and go out of our sphere lost because we haven't taken the time to pursue, enter in, and then to really worship God ourselves, give to him, and then obey him. As we close, I want to read you this little story that I found. It's called The Unspeakable Gift. It says, long ago there ruled in Persia a wise and good king. He loved his people. He wanted to know how they lived. He wanted to know about their hardships. And often he dressed in clothes of a working man or a beggar and went to the homes of the poor. No one whom he visited thought that he was their ruler. One time he visited a very poor man who lived in a cellar. He ate the coarse food the poor man ate. He spoke cheerful, kind words to him, and then he left. Later, he visited the poor man again and disclosed his identity by saying, I am your king. The king thought the man would surely ask for some gift or favor, but he didn't. Instead, the man said, You left your palace and your glory to visit me in this dark, dreary place. You ate the coarse food I ate. You brought gladness to my heart. To others you have given your rich gifts, but to me you have given yourself. The King of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave himself to you and to me, and the Bible calls him the unspeakable gift. Amen? Father, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. 
We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information on other products and materials, please contact us at 770-484-9300, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Or visit our website at www.newcov.org. If you're in the Atlanta area, we invite you to join us for one of our dynamic services. Once again, thank you for receiving the living word of God from New Covenant Christian Ministries, where we are transforming all people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ.